And you know, I'm persuaded that it is just like the songwriter says, soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. In fact, if we really knew how soon it was going to be, if we really knew how close it was, we probably couldn't seat the people that'd be in here tonight. If we just knew how soon it's going to be, how close we are to the coming of the Son of Man, how close we are to that wonderful time that the Bible tells us about, that He's going to come to gather us home. If we just knew that, I'm persuaded we'd probably be doing a whole lot of things different from the way that we're doing them in general right now. Well, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. I trust you've had a great Sunday afternoon and that you're here tonight with an open heart and an open mind and ready to receive what the Lord uh, might want to say to us. Before we turn to our scripture tonight, let me just take a moment to tell you that it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to work with you over these past eight months uh, since everything kind of started changing around here. Uh, it's been a real privilege and an honor to be among you again and to have this opportunity. And I'm just looking forward to what I believe the Lord is going to do with your new pastor and the leadership that's coming in. I want to encourage you to be much in prayer this week for them. They will be in the process of moving, uh, in the process of relocating, and then besides that, beginning to pick up the burden of the church and the burden of the responsibility that will be his. So I want to ask you to wrap them up in prayer, wrap your new pastor and his family up in prayer this week. Be praying and believing that the Lord is just going to bless them and honor them and help them, give them the strength and the grace that they need. And I'd appreciate it if you'd continue to remember us in your prayers. I don't know, just several people said, well, what are you going to do now? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I'll take that back. I do have an idea. I'm going to keep on preaching until the Lord comes. Uh, that I do not intend to quit doing with the Lord's help. I'm already getting calls in. Uh, Bishop Mike's already let me know he's got me on the supply list. And so I have no idea exactly what's going to be coming in the coming weeks and the coming months. But I'm just going to keep on working till he gets here, as the songwriter says. I'll keep on doing that. So we appreciate your prayers as we're out moving around and doing the things. We will be using this as a home base. Uh, Dr. Brother Gardner's already let us know that he wants us to hang around. And so we're going to take advantage of that, and we'll be around when we can be, and uh, just trusting the Lord uh, to continue to work and continue to move. But again, it's just been an honor and a pleasure to work with you and a privilege to be back here again. You're special to us, always will be. This is a special place to us, and uh, we don't intend for that to change in the coming days and in the coming months. All right, let's open our Bibles tonight if you have them, and I'm going to let you stay seated again because I don't have time, I don't want to take the time to read the whole chapter because we're going to be going through it almost verse by verse. So open your Bibles, if you will, to the 16th chapter of the book of the Revelation, the 16th chapter, and we're going to be working our way through that chapter uh, here in the next few minutes as we look at the vile judgments that are going to be poured out upon this earth. You remember we told you when we uh, came to this part of the series that there were going to be three 
judgments that were going to be poured out upon this earth. There would be the seal judgments, the breaking of the seals. There would be the trumpet judgments, the sounding of the seven trumpets. And then there would be the vile judgments, the pouring out of seven vials upon this earth. And we are now to the third of those, and that is recorded here uh, in chapter 16. Let's ask for the Lord's blessings upon his word tonight. Father, I just pray that as we delve into this part of the story tonight, that once again your sweet anointing and sweet presence will just fill this place. Lord, I pray for that anointing that flows only from your hand, that anointing that makes preaching powerful, that makes preaching effective. Lord, I just pray that you'll grant that anointing to your servant tonight. Give us the ability to rightly divide the word of truth and say it in a way that men and women, boys and girls can hear it, understand it, receive it, and be determined to walk in the truth of your eternal word. Thank you for your presence this morning, for what we already feel here in this place tonight. And I just pray that once again you will speak and move and work as only you can among your people. And we'll thank you for all that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You'll remember from this morning's message, as we came to the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, that when that trumpet sounded, the Bible declares that the mystery phase of God's dealing with man is beginning to come to an end. That seventh trumpet sounded the alarm that things are going to begin now to come to a head. Things are now going to begin to march towards some final conclusion. And God's dealings with men are going to become or going to begin to come to an end. We identified that mystery phase language as God's delay in taking the kingdom to himself. How many of you know that down through history at any time, God could have stepped out of heaven and taken this earth back. It all belongs to him, always has, and always will. But God has delayed that, and we explained it this morning. He did that and has done that, allowing sin to run its course. Allowing sin to, to, to run the course that it is going to run. And then at some point, and we came to that point, that it's going to begin to wind down. God's going to say enough. And all of this mystery phase, as we call it, as Bible scholars call it, and as the Word calls it, this mystery phase is going to come to an end. With the sounding of this trumpet, with the sounding of that seventh trumpet, and the pouring out of these vials, that phase is coming to an end. In other words, what we're telling you is that sin's day is going to be coming to an end. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? I got to think about that this afternoon. I got to going back through this material and thinking about it again this afternoon. I got to that phrase and I just wanted to stop and almost have a little shouting fit. It means simply that sin's day is coming to an end. 
How many of you know one of these days the darkness and the sin and the wickedness and the trouble and all the things that are troubling this world and damning mankind. How many of you know one day it's all going to end? <laughs> one of these days sin is going to be gone. Sin will not worry about it anymore. We'll not have to live under its curse anymore. That's what all of this means. When this mystery phase begins to come to an end, it is signaling the day that sin's days are numbered. Sin's time is numbered. And one of these days, we won't have to contend with the devil and his crowd. We won't have to contend with the darkness and with sin. We won't have to contend with that anymore. Remember we told you that under the sounding of the trumpets, we see a world ruled by Satan. We saw this morning that as these trumpets sounded, Satan and uh, this, this, uh, uh, this, this demonic trio that, that, that is taking over the world at this time, we saw that that world was being ruled by Satan. But now as these vile judgments begin, we're going to see a world being rescued by God. We're going to see God setting into motion the things that are going to rescue this world. How many of you know Satan will only have sway for a little while? Satan will only be able to do what he's going to do like this for a little while. And when these vile judgments begin to be poured out, we're going to see the world being rescued by God. In other words, men are going to learn under this series of judgments, men are going to learn that the power of the beast is limited. You remember up till now in the, uh, in the seal judgments and especially in the trumpet judgments, we said the Antichrist is taking over. The world has bowed at his feet. The world has made him God. But now when these judgments begin to come and these things that we're going to look at begin to happen, the world is going to suddenly realize that the beast is not as good as they thought he was. The Antichrist is not as powerful as they thought he was. The Antichrist is not the sugar daddy they thought he was they're going to begin to realize that they've been sold a bill of goods <laughs> and that the Antichrist is not who they thought he was and can't do just anything. They're going to realize there's somebody stronger and mightier and more powerful and bigger than the Antichrist. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that good to know tonight? Well, that's what's going to be happening as these vile judgments begin to take place. The purpose of these judgments is twofold. You need to keep these in mind as we go along. Their purpose is twofold. First of all, to break the grip that the Antichrist has on the earth. He, he is well established as these vile judgments begin. The Antichrist, as we said, is, is ruling the world apparently. The world is just falling at his feet. But now, when these judgments begin, the grip of the beast is going to be loosened. And the second thing that these judgments will do is prepare the way for the battle of Armageddon and prepare the way for the revelation of our Lord for the second phase of His second coming. 
You remember we said in the beginning of all this that when we say second coming, there are actually going to be two phases to the second coming. The rapture will be one. And then when he returns in the clouds with the armies of heaven behind him and he comes to put his feet on this earth and to rule and reign forever and forever. And these vile judgments are preparing. They're preparing the way for those final events to take place. All right, with that background in mind, let's, let's go through these judgments. One of the first things you're going to notice as we go through them, one of the first things you're going to notice is that there is a striking similarity between these judgments and the trumpet judgments. And there's also a striking similarity between these judgments and the judgments that were poured out in Egypt when the children of Israel were going to be set free. There's a great parallel between these two, between the trumpet judgments uh, and the judgments that happened in Egypt. Now what that simply tells me is, or suggests to me, that these events we're about to describe are probably literal happenings. There's not much symbolism involved in this set of judgments. This is pretty much straightforward what's happening. Because they parallel so much these other things. Alright, let's look at the first judgment. The first vile, vile that's poured out, the first vile judgment. The first judgment there is directed against those who have received the mark of the beast. This judgment is specifically aimed at those that have taken his mark. They're now going to pay the price for believing the lie of Satan rather than the word of God. This judgment reminds us of the sixth plague in Egypt when balls broke out over the Egyptians. You remember that plague? The sixth plague when from the head, top of their head to the soles of their feet, they broke out in balls all over their body. This vow and this judgment is very reminiscent of that. The Bible says, if you look here in, in this particular passage, if you look in verse 2, the Bible says that there's going to be some kind of horrible putrefying sore that's going to break out on those that have taken the mark of the beast. The Bible says when the first went, poured out his vial, a grievous sore came upon those that had taken the mark of the beast and worshipped him. It's going to be some kind of sore that's just going to cover men from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. The Bible describes it as noisome and grievous. Noisome and grievous. In other words, it means it's going to annoy. It's going to be troublesome. It's going to be vexing. It's going to be something that's just, just going to almost make you want to claw your flesh to try to get rid of them. It, it's going to be something that is going to torment and putrefy on the body. All of this is going to be happening when this first vial of judgment is poured out and men once again realize, men realize they bought a lie and now they're going to have to pay for it. Then the second vial is poured out and in this one, the waters of the oceans are going to turn to blood. 
You remember this morning that under the second trumpet, one third of the waters turned to blood. But now some kind of global red tide is apparently going to strike the oceans of the world. And the waters of the oceans in totality are going to become like the blood of a dead man. Look at what the Bible says there in verse 3. The Bible says, And the second angel poured out, and the sea became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul in the oceans died. Every fish, every whale, every animal in the ocean is going to die. The waters will be turned to blood. And animals, fish, whales, sharks, everything in it's going to begin to float to the surface. Can you imagine the stench? Can you imagine the ugliness? Can you imagine standing on the shores of the oceans and it looks like the blood of dead men washing up on the sands? That's what's going to be happening when the second vial is poured out. The rest of the waters of the ocean are going to turn to blood. You see what's happening here already? You see what's happening here already? The world is being shown the Antichrist is not as powerful as they thought he was. There's somebody more powerful. <laughs> There's somebody. He ain't running the show. <laughs> He's not running the show. He's not running the show. All over the bodies, balls are breaking out. These grievous sores are breaking out. And suddenly, word comes that the oceans are turning to blood. And all of this is designed to, to, to make men see and to make men understand who is really in control of this earth. Then the third vial is poured out. And in the third vial, the second vial is taken a little further. And now the rivers and the fountains of the earth are turned to blood. Not only are the waters of the ocean turned to blood, but apparently the entire water system of the world is polluted. Again, you remember under the third trumpet, one third of the waters were turned bitter. One third of the waters were turned to blood. One third of the waters were just now the rest of the waters. Can you imagine a world where every river, every spring, Every source of water is suddenly bubbling red. Can, can you imagine what that's going to do to this earth? Can you imagine the panic, the terror? Can you imagine what's going to happen on this earth? I can't even I can hardly take in what this is going to mean. I can hardly take in what's going to happen. And you might say, well, Brother Marley... Even for God, isn't that a little harsh? No. Because here the Bible tells us why this is done. The justification for this kind of plague is given here. Look at verse 6. Listen to what the angel said. For they, speaking of the, the followers of the Antichrist, following, remember this is all being poured out now on the kingdom of the Antichrist. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and have given them blood to drink. For they are worthy. 
You know how God justifies this kind of wrath on man? He says, you've shed the blood of my saints. You've shed the blood of my prophets. You've shed the blood of anybody you wanted to. It hit me again when I was looking at this this afternoon. It was like a voice just spoke to me and said, and they've shed the blood of what, a half a million, uh, uh, half a million babies a year? That's why God is justified in turning the waters of this world to blood. Man has shed blood. Man has shed the blood of the righteous, the blood of the innocent, the blood of the unborn, the, the blood of God's people. God says, all right, I'll shed some blood. I'll shed, so I'll turn the waters to blood. I'll give you a taste. And God justifies. He says, you have shed the blood of saints and given them blood to drink. Now I'm going to give you some blood to drink and let you see what it's like. Listen to me. God's a holy God. He's a just God. He's a loving God. He's a patient God. But you can push God to a point that God says it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. How many of you know he is just in everything that he does? He is just in everything that he does. And he gives us the reason and the justification for this kind of raging war upon the people. This is also done as an answer to prayer. You remember back in chapter 6 and verse 10... You remember the cry that came out from under the altar? Oh Lord, how long dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? The blood of the martyrs. Remember what we said was going on under the first set of judgments and under the second set? The Antichrist, they're killing everybody that won't take the mark. They're slaughtering those that are still trying to find God. And we said there'll be people turning to God. There'll be people that'll realize they've, they've blown it, they've lost, they've been left. But what do we say? They'll pay with their blood. They'll pay with their blood. And now the further justification of what God is doing is he's answering the prayers of those from under the altars that are crying and say, how long till you avenge our blood? I told you this morning, one of the most sickening, horrible pictures that I see in my mind here of late are the assassinations and the murders that's taking place under the name of Islam. People on the shores and people bent over on their knees and their heads and they're coming along, whacking their heads off just because they named the name of Christ and won't call on Allah. I look at that and it just, it almost makes me lose my sanctification. I just think, oh God, how do you, how do you watch that happen? How do, you, how do you allow the, the, the godless systems of this world? And then I come here and I know my answer. He lets it happen. He's letting sin run its course. We're in the mystery phase. 
He's letting sin, he's letting sin, he's giving people a chance to repent. He's giving, he's, he's doing everything he can. But when he says it's enough, then judgment is coming. And those that are crying from under the altar, how long till you avenge our blood? God's going to say right now. <laughs> I'm going to avenge it right now. I'm going to turn all their drinking water to blood and see how they like that. I'm going to turn their oceans to blood and see how they like that. I will avenge my people. How many of you know there is a day of justice coming? How many of you know there is a day of vengeance coming? It's coming just as surely as we're sitting here. And so the justification for this third vile judgment is plainly written in the scriptures. In other words, evil men have done what they've done and now they're going to be judged. How many of you know that is true? Men can do evil, men can do what they will. But one of these days, it is going to be judged. It looks like sometimes they're getting away with it. It looks like to us sometimes on the surface, I, I find myself thinking, God, how, how can you let the, how, how do you let some of this stuff go? He's letting sin run its course. He's giving men chance for repentance. But when that day comes to an end, then one of these days, evil and sin is going to be judged. As my mama used to say, just write it down in your little black book and remember I told you. Evil's going to be judged one of these days. Sin's going to be judged one of these days. And it comes right here with the pouring out of the seven vials. It comes right here. And then the fourth vial is poured out and it upsets the balance between the sun and the earth. The heat of the sun here is greatly increased. Now you remember under the fourth trumpet a third of the sun was darkened. But here with this vial that is reversed. It is no longer darkened. Instead, the sun is going to get so bright and the sun is going to be fully restored and the sun is going to get so hot that it is going to scorch men with the heat. It will literally scorch men. If you get out into the sun, you, you can't find a shady place. It will literally scorch you. That's how hot the sun's going to be. The sun will be restored from that one-third darkness that we talked about this morning. It'll be reversed. And the sun will scorch men with its intense heat. The earth is going to be scorched. The earth is going to be burned, as it were. You know what this is? It's a fulfillment of Malachi 4, 1 through 2. If you turn over there sometime, Malachi 4, 2 speaks of a day when the world is going to burn as an oven. Malachi said the day will come, the world is going to burn like an oven. Here it is. Folks, how many of you know this book knows what it's talking about? 
many of you know this book is the Word of God? Prophets, Malachi, prophets, prophets have prophesied this. And now you see it coming. John, the revelator's given the vision of it happening when this world will literally burn like an oven. But I want you to notice again. Now just think about what I've just described with these four vials. Think of everything else that's going on. And then think about these four being added to it. And yet you know what the reaction of men still is? Look in verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God that has power over the plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. You would think, with all of this, Beginning to help men, hopefully beginning to help men see the Antichrist isn't in control. He can't stop what's good. You thought he was the answer to everything. And now suddenly you're covered with putrefying sores. Suddenly your oceans are turning to blood. Suddenly you're drinking water's blood. Suddenly you're being scorched. You'd think men would say, hey, wait a minute. Instead, the Bible says they blasphemed God. They blasphemed God and repent not to give Him glory. You ever find yourself surprised today at how hard some people seem to the gospel? You ever find yourself sometimes thinking to yourself, how can they be so hard, so blind? Here's how. I mean, here's people going through this. And they refuse to repent. Here's people going through this. And the only thing they want to do is blaspheme the name of God. It should never surprise you when you run across some of these people that are so hardened to the gospel. That are so hardened to the truth. Here it is. Here it is. The fifth vial brings about supernatural darkness. A supernatural darkness. Look in verses 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his vial. And his kingdom, watch this, poured out his vial, I like this, watch this, upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. Look at that. You see, you, see, you see now where all this is going? God, through these judgments, is beginning to show the world the Antichrist isn't the hot shot you think he was. You thought he was God. You thought he was the answer to everything wrong with the world. Nah, not so. Not so. He can't control one bit of this. He can't control... One thing that's going on. He's not as good as you thought he was. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> He's not as great as you thought he was. He can't control any of this. He can't stop any of this. A supernatural darkness grips the planet. 
It reminds us of the ninth plague in Egypt. You remember we said at the outset, so much of these vials mimic and remind us of what God did in Egypt to set his people free there. There's something about this darkness that's going to bring sufferings of such dimension. Now watch this. This darkness is going to be so black and so awful that the Bible says men will gnaw their tongues for pain. The blackness is going to be so thick. It's, it's going to be a darkness I think like the world's never seen. I think there's dark and then there's dark. This is going to be dark. To the point. To the point. That the Bible says men will gnaw their tongues. They'll chew on their tongues. In pain. To try to get rid of of the darkness. But notice again what they do. Look at verse 11. And they blaspheme the God of heaven for their pains and their sores and they repented not. I don't know about you but I read that and it just it almost just blows my mind. You're living in the middle of all of this. You're, you're living in the middle of this. And you still blaspheme the name of God. You still blaspheme His name. And refuse to repent of your deeds. I say it again. Don't be surprised when you run across people that seem so hardened to the gospel. Don't let it overly surprise you. Satan is powerful. He can get a hold on people. Look what he and the Antichrist and the false prophet, the trinity of hell, has been able to do to men here. I want you to notice now what has happened. Let's pause a minute and kind of put these together because I want you to get, I want you to get what's going on. Don't, don't just take these one by one and think about... I want you to see what's happening. What's happening here... In this set of judgments, this final set of, of these kind of judgments is that the kingdom of the beast is coming under direct attack. What God is doing here is attacking the kingdom of the beast that we saw in the first two judgments, that we saw that kingdom, the Antichrist stepping out on the stage and the world just going gaga. Oh, God has come. To, he is the man. And they follow him and take his mark and follow and, and worship the beast and worship his image that's made to talk. And I want you to notice what's happening here. God is beginning to say, wait a minute. You're following the wrong fella. He don't got what you think he's got. He don't have the power you think he has. He's not as good as you think he is. He can't stop any of this. He can't do a thing with this. The kingdom of the beast is under a divine attack. And watch this. I love this statement. He is as hopeless and helpless as Pharaoh was back in the book of Exodus when the plagues were being poured out on Egypt. 
You remember that story from Exodus? How helpless Pharaoh was. The magicians of Egypt tried everything they could. Pharaoh and his magicians did everything they could. And finally the magicians, oh there was a couple things in the early stages they were able to mimic. But finally you remember they looked at Pharaoh and they said this is the hand of God. (laughs) This is the hand of God, Pharaoh. It's beyond us. I feel like shouting to the Antichrist tonight. This is the hand of God. It's beyond you. (laughs) This is the hand of God. And it's beyond anything you can do. The the beast, the Antichrist, I I really want you to get this here now because that's what this set of judgments is all about. It is getting ready to break down the power, to break down the kingdom of the Antichrist. And it's God's way of saying, your empire is about to crumble. God's still running this world. Satan said he thought, isn't that a song we used to sing, Rhonda? Satan said he thought he could. God said he never would. God's still running this world. (laughs) I love it. God's still running this world. Don't you ever doubt. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how black it gets. I don't care how awful it gets till the trumpet sounds. Don't you forget who's running this world. Don't you forget who's running this world. That's what's happening here. It's God saying to the world and to the Antichrist, you need to understand who's running this world. And it's not your man. It's not the Antichrist. It's not the beast. It's not his false prophet. This world empire is beginning to crumble. And according to Daniel 11, we don't have to, you know, the book of Daniel is a parallel in many played that prophecy to Revelation. It'd take six months of sermons to run all those parallels. But in Daniel chapter 11, the eastern nations, about this time, the eastern nations that the Antichrist has brought under his control are, begin, are going to begin to break allegiance to him and break away from him. And that's going to set the stage for other things that are going to happen. Because the world is suddenly going to begin to realize the Antichrist is not who we thought he was. He's not the one we thought he was. And it's all because of the vials of judgment. In other words, from this point on, the beast is going to be increasingly challenged. The world is going to begin to realize he's not as great as we thought he was, there's one greater than he is. (laughs) There's one greater than he is. His name is Jesus. There's one greater than he is. The sixth vial is poured out. And the river Euphrates, look in verses 12 to 16. The river Euphrates that we mentioned this morning, that the things came up out of, The river Euphrates is going to be dried up. Now that's very important. That's a very important piece of this picture. Because what that's going to do is prepare the way for the kings of the east. For the kings of the eastern nations 
that are going to be involved in the battle of Armageddon, God is getting ready and setting the stage, look in verse 14, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The river Euphrates is going to dry up and make a path for the nations and the kingdoms of the east to join and hook up with the nations and the kingdoms of the west and march into Armageddon for the great battle. God is setting the stage here. He's setting the stage. Their mobilization, the mobilization of these things are going to be inspired. The mobilization of this army and these kings is going to be inspired by three frog-like demons. Look in verse 13. Verse 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Demonic spirits like frogs are going to come out of their mouths. And they're going to be sent forth, watch this now, to bring about the mobilization of the whole world together at Armageddon to fight against our Christ. That's what's going on here in this vow. The river dries up. And now the nations on the east side of the river, the nations on the west side can come together, move to the valley of Estra-Elon, where Armageddon will be fought. I've stood on the hillside surrounding what they call the valley of Armageddon. Never seen anything like it. And as we stood there in Israel, the two times I've been, looking at that valley running miles and miles, and I forget how deep they say it is, and then I think of what the Bible says when it says that there'll be so many to die in that valley that the blood will run up to the level of the horse's bridles. You talk about a slaughter. You talk about sin paying the price. You talk about God's judgments. Folks, it's coming. And this vow prepares the way for the battle of Armageddon. It's long been recognized as one of the world's great battlefields. And here the last battle is going to take place. The last big battle will take place before the coming of our Lord and his and his and his revelation in the second part of the second coming. Then the seventh vial. I love this one. The seventh vial brings a cry from on high. From on high, this cry is given. Look at it in verse 17. A cry goes forth, and here it is. It is done! <laughs> oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. It is done. This thing's about over. It's about wrapped up. The heavens are about to burst open. The king is coming. 
The king is coming. It is done. Do you remember after the work of creation when he had finished? You remember God said, it is good. He looked at everything he had done. He said, it is good. And then you remember, as he got ready to die on the cross, one of the last things he said as he drew his last breath was, it is finished. <laughs> I've paid the price. <laughs> I've made a way for men to be free from all of this. I've made a way for you to be free. It is finished. And now he shouts. <laughs> it is done. It is done. All I've been working on from creation's time till now, it's done. It's done. And I'm about to take the throne and issue and usher in the eternal ages. And he shall reign. I wish I had the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir here, somebody to cut loose singing for me. The Hallelujah Chorus. It is done. And he shall reign forever and forever. He shall reign forever and forever. It is done. The devil's done. The Antichrist is done. Every imp of hell is done. It is done. Folks, we are on the winning side. Look at your neighbor and say, We're going to win. We're going to win. <laughs> There's times today it don't seem like it. But we're going to win. Here's the proof of it. If this book is true, we're going to win. Now, the way is fully paved for the personal return of our Lord to take over this planet. And the mystery of God is finished. The mystery phase is done. The mystery phase, the things we don't understand are all finished and done. And it is done. As that cry goes forth, come on Rhonda, as that cry goes forth, there will be some more activity. There will be outbursts in the sky, convulsions on the earth. The greatest earthquake in all of history is going... When he shouts, it is done. These things are going to suddenly happen. There's going to be convulsions on the earth. The earth is going to literally convulse. There's going to be the worst earthquake that history has ever known. The magnificent city of Babylon is going to be catastrophically destroyed. And great hailstones weighing 75 to 100 pounds are going to fall from the sky. When he shouts, it's done. There'll be one last convulsing. There'll be one last pouring out of God's wrath.
God's judgments have touched the world of nature. They've touched the world of mankind. And now, we won't probably have time to do these. But if you look in 17, chapter 17, the Lord's going to deal with the religious system. In 18, he deals with the political system. In 19, he deals with the armies of the world. And in chapter 20, he deals with the old serpent himself. One by one, now after this point, he's just going to be knocking them off, knocking them off, knocking them off, knocking them off. But I want you to notice how this ends again. This is the part I just can't hardly fathom. Look in verse 21. The hail has fallen out of heaven. 75 to 100 pounds. The greatest earthquake the man that the world's ever seen. And the Bible says, but men blasphemed God because of the plague. They're still blaspheming the name of God. almost unbelievable look at the scene and I'm finished let me just paint the scene here's what it all looks like let's tie these last three or four messages together the earth is lying in ruins multitudes have died hundreds upon thousands upon thousands maybe millions famine and disease are rampant throughout the earth Plagues and catastrophe is everywhere. Demonic forces are running rampant on the planet now. Hell's been opened. Demons have been released. And the world of nature seems to be on a rampage. That's the picture we have. And then to top it all, The armies of the world are gathering for the last great battle. The battle of Armageddon. And the king, me and you won't have to fight. The king's going to ride down into that valley. It's all going to be over. It's all going to be over. Will you stand with me, please? That's the picture of what's about to come. All of these things are going to take place in about a seven-year period that we call the Great tribulation you don't want to be here thank God you don't have to be you can be ready for the trumpet to sound (laughs) you can be rapture ready you don't have to be here that's the good news you don't have to be here he's provided a way out for us 
He's provided hope for us. You don't have to be here. But you've got to make that choice now. You can't wait till the trumpet sounded and 30 minutes later, you know, I should have listened to the preacher. I should have got right. Too late then. Or some will repent and get right, but then they'll pay with your blood. You'll go through these horrors, no telling what they'll do to you, nor when. I'd rather be ready now and be gone. I'd rather be ready now and be gone. How many of you feel that way tonight and say, Preacher, I want to be ready? Come on, let's just gather around this altar and tell him that before you go home. Now just come to him and tell him. Say, Lord, help me. Help me to be ready. Lord, if there's anything in my life, if there's anything I still need to do, if there's anything in this world between us. Lord, I want to be ready.
for you, for myself, is let's be ready. Whatever else you may do with your life, whatever else you may do with the days you have left, stay rapture ready. Stay ready. Because in a moment that you think not, the Son of Man Would you stand with us, please? Thank you again for being here in the house of the Lord tonight. Pray you'll have a great week. 
Again, be much in prayer for your incoming pastor for this week of transition. Be much in prayer for our camp meeting services, our empower services. And attend those services if you possibly can. Thursday night, Friday night, next Sunday night, there'll be no service here. We'll be going to Greensboro, Brett and I, your pastor's already talked about that. He's in full agreement that that's where we need to be. So I want you to plan to go to Brown Summit. Be in all three of those services if you possibly can. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great time. By the way, if by chance you fail to get your check written or you fail to remember the go offering, you can get that in here next Sunday. We have to report it next Sunday night when we go to the rally. Brother Mike will be taking a report to them. So you have time to get it in. And even after that, if something happens, you can't. You can get it in, I think, till the end of the year. Actually, it can, it can be gotten in here and it'll get to the right place. But let's try to have a great, great report next Sunday night from our churches. So do your best to get it here by next Sunday morning if you didn't get it here today. And do everything you can to go at least that full day's wage. Let's make it a great offering. Let's make it a great time. Because you see, when you give to that, you're giving so that people can be reached. So they won't have to go through all this. You're giving for the gospel to be preached to people who've never heard this story. People who don't know this book. That's what your giving does. Let's do our best. Let's do our best to help as many as we possibly can be ready to go. Thank you again for being here. May the Lord bless you. Fellowship with one another. We've had a good prayer time. I'm just going to turn you loose. Turn around and tell somebody you love them. Hug somebody's neck. Be careful going home. Have a great evening.